I've never met anybody, I've never met anybody who in any way wants to be retarded. I say, hold on Steve, what do you mean by that? Well, medically, that means failing to grow, stunted in some way. In some sense you remain a child, or you're childlike, you're infantile, you're often in danger, or you're not aware of danger that's around you. Um, you're at the whim of other people. You're not responsible. You hurt yourself sometimes and you hurt others. I suppose in some summary we could spell it, but spell it out as being as, as not flourishing. You actually grow old, but you don't grow up. I suppose in some sense you, you're likely to smash your life into the rocks. It can be a danger to yourself and those around you. Now, I'm guessing as you listen to that, you think, hold on, I don't want to be like that either. I know I don't want to. But the Bible tells us that in some sense, we are not what we were made to be. Not what we should be. We are less human than we should be. And it's because we've been disconnected from God in some way. In today's passage, we're going to find something that is the key to being the opposite. To not being somebody who is stunted in their growth, but actually grows. To be a person who grows and is different. Who is changing to be more and more what they were made to be. And into today's passage, that teaches us an incredibly important principle. It is this. We have to grow. If you are to grow, it has to be a together thing. Growth and change in your life has to be a community project. Let me illustrate this. Uh, Some of you know some of the Greek classics, and you know the story of of the Odyssey, and there's Odysseus who's travelling on his ship, and he knows he's got to go by the island of the Sirens. Now, Sirens are people who go, woo, 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 they're, they're these nasty mythical beasts who they sing out to the sailors. They intoxicate the sailors by their singing. The sailors get drawn in, get dashed to pieces on the rocks. So he's going past there and he's saying, right, okay, listen men, I'm going to lose my mind when we go past that island, but we've got to go past it if we're to get home. I'm going to lose my mind, we're going to be dashed on the rocks unless you do what you're told. I am going to strap myself to the mast of this boat. And I'm going to kick and I'm I'm going to scream. But I've told you the way home, I've told you the heading is that way. You get me home, I'm going to fill your ears with wax. So you won't be affected, but I need you to get me back. I'm going to act like a crazy man, I'm going to act like a child, but just get me home, will you? story that, isn't it? What did he actually do? He knew this. He knew that if he was to keep an individual level of control of the ship, he would lose his ship. He knew he would never get home unless he shared control of what was his, of his life. And my question to you and to us is, do you know that for yourself as well? We love uh, the very essence and the heart of sin is thinking, I can be in control of my life. So I saw uh, this, uh, there was this film I watched a, a few months ago called Taken. And it's about, basically, uh, it touched my thing, because um, when me and Wesley were talking about it the other day, because I'm a father of daughters, and it's about uh, a guy whose daughter goes on a trip to Paris, and she's abducted by people and taken off and treated very badly. He manages to get through on the phone to the people who, are, who have abducted his daughter, and he says something like this. He says, 
I have a very unique set of skills that make me a real pain to people like you. And as the story unfolds, it turns out that he's the kind of guy who can dodge 5,100 bullets in one second. He's a CIA operative, an assassin. He can beat up 50 people without breaking a sweat. He can get the job done. He has all the power that he needs to rescue not only himself, but also his daughter. And in the end, the bad guy is destroyed, and there is victory. And that's the Western dream, isn't it? That we can be the same here. That we've got the skills that we can get ourselves through. And God says, no. There's no such thing as a hero except Jesus. You can't do it. So let me ask you again, do you know that yourself? Do you know there are times that you cannot stay the course? You'll make mistakes. You'll have thought you'd have learned from it and you haven't. And even right now, some of you are like, oh God, I'm going through this one again. How can this have happened to me a second time? And there'll be times in your life when you do lose your mind, where you're not going to make it home unless there are people around you who have been authorised by you to share control. You will be speaking and thinking like a blithering idiot. Although to you, you seem so wise and sharp and, oh yeah, I can do it. But you're heading your life for disaster. People you need around you, people you authorise to say... We're not going to listen to what you want right now, but we are going to get you where you asked us to go, which is home. Now, do you have people like that around you? Because if you don't, you're not going to grow. You're just not. Have you authorised anybody yet? Have you said, please, will you do this for me? Do you want to grow? You see, the fact is, is that God has put people in your life so that you can grow. And I need to ask again, are you making the most of what he's given you? I've got three headings for this today as we look into Ephesians chapter 4. First is the call to grow. Second of all is the how we grow. And third of all is why we grow. And just like we did last week, I'm expecting that you'll have questions that come off this. What does this mean? What does it look like? Not just for me, but for us as a church family. And you remember, I gave you chances to ask those questions. I wrote them down and we went away. And then on Thursday night, we worked through some of those questions, didn't we? So at the end of this, I'm expecting some of you to say, OK, if that is true, Steve... In that case, oh, can you try with that? And I'll write them down, and you can go away, and Johnny will answer them yourselves. That's the whole point. We do it together. So, title number one, here we go. The call to grow. Just look at chapter 4, verse 1. Can you see it there? I love this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have earned. Oh, come on, somebody call me out on that, will you? received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you were received. In other words, to be a believer in Jesus Christ is a meritless salvation. God calls you out of your childish living, your retardedness if you like, at a time when you weren't even looking for God, though you thought yourself so wise, you weren't mature, you couldn't even figure out that you were cut off from God, and he calls you to himself through Jesus Christ, by his power of the cross and the power of the Spirit, and he does it through no merit of yours. You bring nothing to the deal except your mess, which means God didn't look down one day and go, Ha! Chris! That one! I need him! I can't get my job and work done on earth without him. I need him in my team! God never did that with Chris. Don't we know him? 
He never did it with me either. He didn't look at Steve's. Oh, he's got just the gifts and abilities that I need. With him, I could win the world. No. And in the same way, he didn't look down on Jane and go, she's just useless, she's not going to be in my gang. If she had something to offer, I might think about calling on her. Oh no. And you see, God, a meritless salvation. He just calls people together out of their selfishness, says, I will make you into my people. I call you together. We have to do this when we go to the park with the kids. One over there, one over there, they're all doing their own very little thing. Kids, come here. And I call them, and guess what? From time to time, they actually come. And we're a family. And we walk off to the ice cream farm. Lovely. God calls us. He calls you out of his grace. If you just flip that one page, chapter 1, verse 13. I love this language. And you also were included. Yeah, somebody wants to include you. You're not the last to be picked. Verse 13 again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Do you get that? God wants to include people in his new people. He's calling us. He's saying, look, I want to let you grow. I want to let you be human again. And then he wants you to be clear that you are to grow. He doesn't want to leave you in some dying, atrophied state. He wants us to grow. And the place where he's put for us to do it, if you like, the pot that we're to be planted in, is this thing called the local church. Let's go to verse 11 through to 16 of chapter 4 again. Let's, we have this bit where this is where we're going to camp out now for the next bit. So chapter 11... Uh, So chapter 4, verse 11, I'll read it properly, here we go. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, may grow, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, yeah, grow, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, childlike, Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, I don't know whether you spotted it but as you flew through that there. There are two motifs going on. One is building and one is body. So building. Okay, in the New Testament, if you want to go and chase this up, have a look in um, 1 Peter chapter 2. And here, we're described as God's building. Well, more specifically, together we're the building, individually we're each bricks. And we're a holy building that he inhabits. And the more we are brick-like and come together as a building, the more he inhabits it. Now, I've been doing a bit of building work, as you know, and I can tell you this. If we're a brick in a wall, all the other bricks around me depend on me in some sense. If I start to break and I start to shake, it's not just me who falls down. It's It's the wall. And in the same way, I depend on them. If they start to break and shake, I'm in jeopardy as well. So, we're being told here that we're we're a building to be built up together with bricks to grow. You're supposed to be so built into the lives of people 
get this, because this is how you thought this morning when you didn't want to come. You're supposed to be so built into the lives of people that if you disappear or stop gathering with them, things start to collapse. It shows us that we don't attend church, do we? If you just attend church, then you just miss the point. We're supposed to be church to one another every day of the week. Oh yeah, we have a great time when we get together to express that and encourage one another. But if we're bricks built into a holy house, we're, we're supposed to be this all, all the time, aren't we? So can I ask you, are you at that level? Are you interdependent? Do you so share your decisions together? Your struggles together? Your homes together? Your money together? Do we do this thing together that if one of us isn't around or something happens, then we all start to feel it? That, that's the way it's supposed to be. And the Bible tells us that to the degree that we do that is the degree to which God inhabits us. You want to see a church where God is and you'll see people dwelling together in unity. They'll be interwoven, built into each other's lives. In fact, I want to push it a little bit further and say, if I understand my Bible correctly, you can't expect God to work in your life unless you are built into a particular church. Yeah you will be, in some sense, not growing as he intends you to, unless you're built in. Uh, Spurgeon, who was another fat pastor, um, Baptist pastor, uh, he said that we're designed by God to be a brick in his house, that we need one another to be worth anything. And if I say, I love you, Lord Jesus, but don't connect and plug into God's people, it's like being a brick in the middle of the street, being kicked down the street, saying, I'm a house, I'm a house, I'm a house. You see, being a believer is more than just sitting and listening to a sermon. Isn't it? In fact, this is just a bit that helps you be the church the rest of the week, doesn't it? As we hear God's word, it changes us on the spot and we go and live it out. Do you get that? So my question is, are you built in? Well, the other image we've got here is not just of a building, but of a body. It's something that grows. Look there, verse 12. Uh, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's growing. Verse 16, you can see it again. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's about maturing together. A good wine. And the problem is, is children are the opposite of that, aren't they? And if you're only, well, if you're a parent, you know this. And if you've been a child, you know this. The thing that marks a child is they always think they've just arrived. They suddenly see a new element of life and reality. I think, wow, I'm now wise. I can now look after myself, face the world, and conquer everything. Because, well, it's just new to them. I'm suggesting that sometimes we can be the same. Let me illustrate with me. Seven years ago, I became the pastor of this church, and when I began, I thought to myself, pretty sorted, uh, a stable kind of guy, not unhinged in the slightest. Uh, I've been to enough conferences, I've read enough books, I'd arrived. I'd say it took round about four, maybe six days before I figured out that I was a little bit more unhinged than I realised. I think, is it Fiona? We've got your box set of Back to the Future. Is it yours? 
It's Kaylee's Back to the Future and it's stuck there. And do you know, I'd look, if you've seen the film Back to the Future, it's great. They get this funky car with a flux capacitor and they can go back to the past. Now, I would give anything for that DeLorean. Jump in the DeLorean, go burning down Danwood Road, get up to 88 miles an hour, pow, bang, seven years ago, and have a look at that young pup called Steve Casey and say, don't do that. Don't say that. Definitely don't do that. You're a moron. You're just dumb. You're not as clever as you think you are. That's why I can look back on Steve Casey of seven years ago and say I was incorrect, I believed incorrectly, I walked incorrectly, I treated other people incorrectly. I was as dumb as ditch water. But the kicker is this, I think I've arrived today. I'm pretty clever, actually. In fact, I really do know how to lead this church. Yeah, I'm wise, I'm accomplished, I can see all ends, I can work it through. But then again, perhaps in seven years from now, seven years from now, Steve Casey will look back on me and go, You're a moron! You idiot! You see, and I'm dumb, no offence, but you're dumb too. You think you're in the right, don't you? We're all just as dumb as one another. We're all in the process of growing. I hope we're not saying that now is the point where I've reached the pinnacle of knowledge and you've got nothing to say to me because if you're at that point then the rest of your life is going to be in some sense retarded. You'll cease to grow because we're supposed to be those according to this who are growing and maturing and it humbles us to think that. That's why you want to be very quick to listen and very slow to speak. Look at that there, verse 14 together. Then we will no longer be infants tossed backwards and forth by the waves and being blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitfulness. In other words, we're very vulnerable, particularly if we're new believers, to teaching values. Remember, we talked about that last week. The values of this world, living for them and saying, yes, that's where I find life, rather than rushing to the Lord Jesus. So I found this, another pastor wrote this, I think this is very clever, he said this, I cannot be and grow into all that I was made to be without you. I'm needing one another to be all that God has called me to be. If we are in Christ, woven together to such an extent that we need one another to be all that God has asked us to be, and more, uh, and it, the more we isolate ourselves, the more our sins are just our sins to be dealt with and handled all by ourselves and by nobody else. The more that we do that, the more we rob ourselves of life and power and all that we were meant to be in Jesus Christ. We need one another to grow. That's my longest point. That's point number one. The need to grow. So the big question then is how? How do we do it? Well, it's found there. There's three things. I'll just get three things under this bit. Then point three, very small, okay? How to grow. Words from Jesus through others about Jesus, okay? Now we're going to try for some audience participation. Words through others. Good. Let's try it one more time. Here we go. From Jesus through others about Jesus. Those three things separately, okay? Very quickly. Words of Jesus. Now, isn't this great? Because we're not being asked to follow some guru or some fellow who stands in the pulpit. I'm only as much used to you as I explain the words of Jesus that are found here. He is the one who shepherds his people. 
He is the one who leads and pastors his people. He is the source of authority. And all of us, whoever we are, and however accomplished we think we are, we're all looking for an authority figure in our life, aren't we? We're all looking for somebody, something, to say, look, that is it. That is the way. If I've got that, then I'm leading and going somewhere. Your friends who aren't in the church, they look for an authority figure somewhere. We look for an authority to stand on. The danger is when we get it wrong. And if we get it wrong, usually we do it spectacularly. So perhaps sometimes we'll look for someone else, another person, to be our hope and our joy. If I've got my relationship right with them, then I feel great. I'll make them the centre and I'll centre my life on them. Sometimes if if your marriage is strong, it's your marriage partner. Sometimes if your marriage is weak, it's one of your children you retreat into that. Well, as long as I'll make the kids love me, spend more on them at Christmas, it's them. Perhaps if you're not married, it might be a leader or a friend or something like that. And in some sense, they become an authority. And as that happens, whoever it is, number one, it will ruin you. And number two, it will ruin them. Because you're putting a weight on them that they were never supposed to carry. And you're going to somebody who can't actually be a saviour. So Jesus says, now I have to be the authority. Look, let your friends be your friends. Brilliant. Let your spouse be your spouse. Let your kids be your kids. But don't let any of them be your saviour. They're not up to the job. I'm the only one who can be the saviour. I'm the only one who can be the authority. I'm the only one who your life can revolve around and you come out at the end still breathing. Seek me in my words. My words are truth. You see, I've I've even given you verse 11, under-shepherds, people who will simply explain and open my word to you so you can get it in. This is, you know, they're they're my gift to you. People who will just explain what my word is to you so you can live by it. But don't make any mistakes. I, Jesus, me, I am the one who is the authority. I'm the one. Seek me in my words. So my encouragement to you lot is find some good leaders who are going to be able to help you understand what Jesus is saying about the authority that you need in your life. In fact, that's the only reason anybody should be appointed to any leadership position in a church is the fact that they could appoint other people to Jesus. Because he's the authority, not them. So they're words of Jesus, right, through others. Let's see, verse 12. You see this here? This is great. Take all the pressure off me. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay? You don't want him to say that, do you? What you want him to say is to prepare God's people so Stephen the elders can do all the works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. That's a little bit closer to it, isn't it? Because we don't like it. Which is nuts, really, because whenever you serve God, you get so much more back for not serving him. It's the upside that it's more blessed to give than receive thing in this kingdom. Leaders are at best like footy managers. and don't we need a new one at Liverpool. The best is they coordinate the activity of everybody else. They set the priority and they bring the best out in other people. So let's read it again. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. To build up the body of Christ... God's people need to do the serving. Not just the limited few. We're all ministers. We're all pastors. So I preach to equip you lot to serve each other. So together we become the kind of grace-filled people who start letting others into our lives so we can serve them. 
Now, what's the only qualification for being a servant? Or being, sorry, what's the only qualification for letting somebody into your life to serve you? What's their only qualification? Well, there's only two, actually. To let them into your life to serve you, and you to do the same to others, two things are required. Number one, they love Jesus, and number two, they're not you. You get why? You find some people who say, well, you find some people who say, okay, my private life, that's not your business. Um, Come into my life and help me, but keep at a distance. You can't ask me about this, and you can't ask me about that, and you can't ask me about the other. You can't serve them then, because if the thing that we're supposed to be doing is growing in Jesus and growing, it tends to be the things that we clung on to are the things that then we want to hide, are the things that we need to actually have wrestled out of our hands all the more urgently. So here, what's it mean to serve in the church? It doesn't mean you run speed kits, and it doesn't mean you do that job or you sing in that. That's, that's, that's serving with a little S. Serving with a big S is getting busy in people's lives. It's all about people, because guess what? The Lord is much more bothered about people than a melody that's played over there, or whatever else it may be. So he wants people who, because they love Jesus, say, come into my life and help me, and I'll do it for you. So my question is, why not you? You're supposed to be getting busy in other people's lives. You can't do it for everybody in the church, but it should be in somebody's. This is where the work of service really is happening. Don't, whatever you do, be somebody who says, don't ask me about my life, don't ask me about my time, what I watch, how I speak, how I speak to others, my sex life, my ambitions. They're all private. You're not going to grow. You shut yourself off. You're not going to grow. But we're supposed to be members, committed members, who go to people and say, I give you the right to call me to account even if I lose my mind so that I won't take my life onto the rocks. Wouldn't that be great? Now we grow in this. I, 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 you know, I can't pair you up now and say, go on, go and do it because it takes time to develop trust, doesn't it? But sometimes, let's be honest, we don't even want to try. Because we do genuinely, foolishly, stupidly think we'd be better off by being a rock on an island than by doing the hard work of investing in relationships. I've told you this so many times. So often, God's favourite shape in the Bible is this. A tick shape. It gets worse before it gets better. But unless you go down here, it's not going to go there. You've got to step over the pain line. We need people who are committed to one another in that kind of relationship. That's what we talk about membership in our church. Membership isn't attending. Membership is a covenant, an agreement that says, I put myself in some sense under your authority. I agree I need you and you need me. I'm responsible to you and you're responsible to me. We're going to look after each other. And if you're a member of the church here, you know what that is. It's not anybody signing up to a certain set of do's and don'ts. It's people who say together, we are going to stand shoulder to shoulder for one another and, and stand in the gap for one another to stop one another's lives hitting the rocks. And of course, quickly and finally on this section, it's about Jesus. That's how you do it. So it's words of Jesus through other people about Jesus. Now this is the boundary and shape of what that kind of commitment and relationship looks like. Is it access all areas? No, not really. We belong to one another in some sense, but... It's not quite like that either. It's basically the area that you've got responsibility for affects all areas, but the way you do it is very simple and straightforward. Your job 
is to help them get fullness in Jesus. See that in verse 13? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So to be a serving, in a serving relationship in the church family, to be built in, looks like this. You have got spiritual ambition for the person you either sit next to or commit to meet up and pray with or meet with on a Thursday night over your fellowship group or go out for a coffee with or do life with or go shopping with. Whatever it is you do, you're saying, I want them to know the fullness of the measure of Christ in their life and nothing less will I be satisfied with. And we say to somebody like that, we say, you have the authority to redirect me to Jesus Christ as the fullness of everything. Because I know I'm prone to wonder. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's not, it's not just me, is it? We pursue and say, listen, remember, Jesus Christ is your ultimate, uh, ultimate treasure. He is your life. Chase Jesus. Know Jesus. Worship Jesus. Don't get your focus off Jesus. That's what it means and looks like to serve people in the church. With a whole bunch of Jesus freaks running around, yelling at each other, live with Jesus at the centre. And let me just point out to you that that's not morality. Because the worry that some of you have is, oh, if I become a member here, then what I basically do is I give them a licence to say, you shouldn't do that and you should do that. That's going to sell it short, isn't it? Because that's not the gospel way of living. Now, we don't say do not do that or you should do that because actually it comes across as, hold on, I'm setting people up to be the judge, jury and executioner of me. That's not good news. That's not what it's about at all, is it? Now, actually, rather what we do is we say to one another something along these lines. Somebody's making poor choices in their life and they seem to be living for something other than Jesus. And rather than saying, don't do that, what you say is, because of the cross of Jesus, you don't need to do that anymore, do you? He set you free. Well, alternatively, if there's something they, they, they should be doing, you say, hold on, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus and they're not. You go to them and say, you should be doing that, and they'll just go, oh, come on, it's rubbish. And so what you say to them is not, you should be doing that, but guess what? Because of Christ at the cross, you can do that now. He has set you free to serve. So perhaps you see somebody who's spending needlessly and they seem trapped and they can't help themselves. And you go to them and you say, you don't need to do that anymore. You've got the riches of Christ. He's your fullness. Perhaps you see somebody who's behaving in a relationship in a way that just is hurting them and other people. They seem to be happening in that relationship and it's all going wrong. You say, you don't go to them and say, stop it. You go up to them and say, you don't need to be like that anymore. Don't you realise that you're adopted by the king? You're in his family, you belong to him, he has made you secure, you have fullness in him. Don't say you should, say you can. Serve Christ, speak for him. Oh, I'm very nervous, but in Christ you can because he's made you secure. So what if you babble it out, it doesn't come out right. You're still safe in Christ, you've got his fullness. So what are we to do? Well, we're to live and serve one another and point people to Jesus and his fullness. That's actually the only way to grow. You try anything else, you won't grow. It's going to be a community project. 
So we've seen point one, we saw the need to grow. How we grow, well, how we grow, let me remind you the three things I got you saying a second ago. Words from Jesus, through others, about Jesus. Very quickly, and it's only going to be two minutes on this point, because I told you why we grow, and it's all there in verse 16. This is your final point, here we go. Verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the body that God has called together by his grace. We've received this calling, come together, and its purpose is that we grow up into everything. Why? We'll have a little look back just at chapter 3, verse 10 across the page. Can you see it there? His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Why are we to grow? Because God's showing off. Look what I can do with them! Look! No other political influence can do that. No more legislation and laws can do that. No more all standing around the campfire and singing songs can change people deeply from the inside. I can do it. He's showing off. I can bring peace. I can fix the mess that you sinners have made. Not by using force but by winning you with grace so I watched Iron Man 2 last night, great film of course he's the hero and to be the hero in Iron Man 2 you have to have a metal suit that nobody else is clever enough to make, you need to be a billionaire Uh, you need to have dancing girls Uh, you need to be suave and sophisticated, you have to have fast cars and if you've just about got the brainiest guy in the world with the most money in the world, with the fastest and most powerful metal suit you can beat off the bad guys. God says no. I'm going to take the retards. I'm going to take the children. I'm going to take the idiots. And I'm going to transform the world with them. Because that's the kind of God I am. I'm going to show off and let everybody else enjoy my grace. See, what Speak needs is for us to be members growing together, showing his wisdom off, showing his power in Christ, to bring everybody together as members in Christ. So very quickly, let me just throw out a few applications before I give you a chance to ask some questions. My first application is this. Are you a member? Have you committed to this body of believers? If you haven't committed to this body of believers and you've got no intention of then you need to find a body of believers you're going to commit to. You need to give them authority and permission in your life when you, feel, when you lose your mind and you're heading towards the rocks. You need to give them permission to do that. You need to authorise, agree and have a covenant in place. What else do you need? We need to be a body of people who speak the truth in love to one another. Which is tricky really because some of us, well, we just want to keep quiet. Well, can I tell you, according to this, that's not loving. But others of us want to keep talking. And can I tell you, that's not loving if it's not about Christ. If it's centred on him, if it's truth and love, then that's what we've got to be doing. Another thing that we bring out of this for ourselves is, is there a desire to grow in our fellowship? Are we sitting there going, enough already! I don't really want to grow because for some bizarre reason we've got this mindset that actually I'm better off if I stay infantile. So is there a desire to grow or are we just on maintenance mode? 
Where do we want to be in 12 months, 18 months' time? You know, and that's in the Lord's hands. And one little other point here, another thing to think about. How can we, as a church, better be equipped to serve one another? What can the elders do to teach you better? How can we do it? What's the format and the way we do it? How can we, together, be members growing together, being built up to be in the fullness of Jesus Christ together, so everybody looks at us and goes, wow, isn't God great? That's where we're heading, that's what we're supposed to be, and that's what we want to be. So with that in mind, I need a pen, and I'm going to write down some questions. Let me a pen.